We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she'll choose life. But they can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside them. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. The Bible, it's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. If you ever wonder if God is patient with us, I think you'll kind of enjoy the story that we're looking at from the Bible, uh, the real story, the real, the rest of the story, however you want to say it, from Gideon. Uh, God called him out, and uh, he wasn't so sure, uh, Gideon wasn't so sure that he could do what God wanted him to do. And so God took him each step of the way. And uh, I don't know about all those of you who are listening, but it gives me hope that God's God's a very patient and loving God, and I hope you'll come to that understanding before this program is over. Again, this is Bert Harper along with Dr. Alex McFarland, and we study the Word of God, and we're in the book of Judges. It's a great book, and uh, the reason it applies so much, everybody was doing that which is right in their own eyes, sounds a little bit a lot like our society today. Everybody wants to talk about, watch your truth. Well, let me just tell you, the truth is Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father but by him. And here on Exploring the Word, I know what several things we're going to do, but the priority is make much of Jesus. Alex, uh, he's on every page, isn't he, of the Word of God? Well, amen. And Bert, it's great to be with you, and it's just a real honor to have everybody listening. We are in the book of Judges, and we're going to continue with what God did in and through the life of Gideon. Uh, Gideon, Bert, uh, I think he is the fifth judge so far that we're looking at, and very often in Jewish history said to be the greatest judge. But the Midianites have just attacked Israel, killed the livestock, destroyed the crops, and the people um, cry out to God, and God raises up Gideon. And Bert, have you ever heard the term a reluctant leader? Well, listen, <laughs> uh, I identify with that. I was I, I never wanted to be the leader. I wanted to sit back, and uh, I never wanted to be on the back row because it gets too much attention. The best place to be is next to the back row. That was yeah. my thoughts. Now, I'm saying that because I can halfway identify with that reluctant leadership, Alex. Yeah. You, you know, it, it really is fascinating. And, and I want to say this. We're going to see Gideon's interaction with an angel. Um, you know, in Luke 24, after Jesus had risen from the dead, one of the things he said about in his resurrected body, Jesus said, touch me, you'll see that a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see that I have. And let me say, we're going to see uh, the spiritual world is very tangible. You know, God God sent this angel. The angel sat under an oak tree. Gideon, uh, when the angel says, you know, you're a mighty man of valor, God is going to use you. Gideon goes, well, I need a little bit of proof here. 
Now, wait right here while I go fix some food. And they interact. Now, this angel is going to touch this rock where the food sits and some fire will consume it. But my, my point is, the interaction with the angel, uh, it is all very corporeal. It is real. It, this is not some nebulous, fuzzy fog. Uh, Gideon's interaction with God's messenger and what's going to take place, it is absolutely tangible and real, isn't it, Bert? It really is, Alex. Well said. In verse 22, I love verse 22. I love yes. Gideon's understatements. Now, he, he does this, but listen to this. Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. Uh, uh, you know, you think? <laughs> hey, I've never seen anything like this, have you? Yeah. And uh, he perceived he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, now listen, it's not over yet, over yet with his perception. So he says, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Mm. And then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. God was reading his heart. Do not fear. You shall not die. Now, this, again, I love this story because there's so much. I, the only thing I'd say, the reality of our humanity is seen here. Here it is. Yes. He said, oh, me, I perceive this. Yeah, I, this is something different. I've never seen anything like this. And then God had called him to lead the children of Israel and to overcome the Midianites. And now that he's seen the angel of the Lord face to face, he thinks he's going to die. And uh, so uh, God has to reassure him again and again. Alex, I, I just want to ask you, uh, I know we we walk by faith, but isn't the reassurance of the Lord helpful many, many times? Oh, my goodness, yes. You, you know, John fourteen twenty seven, and this is going to relate to what uh, Gideon names this place. But in John fourteen twenty seven, Jesus said, Peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you, but God gives uh, the peace that passes all understanding. And I love this, that in 24, Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. You know, uh, Jerusalem, Jeru Shalom, the city of peace, right? Well, this place, he calls it the Lord is peace. And uh, Bert, in this day and age in which we live, peace is a pretty precious commodity, isn't it? It really is. And shalom, uh, what a peace it is. Now, peace is not necessarily the absence of violence. Uh, you don't have a lot of violence in a cemetery, but it's mm. not the most always, it can be the most peaceful thing in the world. It's a calmness in the midst of difficulty. Again, right. I use this quite often. Peace in the midst of the storm, uh, that's what Jesus brings. The storm in life may be raging, but he can bring that peace. So this is a great place, uh, uh, article that we read here about him calling this place, the Lord Shalom, the place of peace. Now, it came to pass that same night that the Lord said to him, God, Alex, have you noticed he, the angel of the Lord uh, came to him and so told him that he would be a mighty man of valor. He came yeah. to him and took care of that offering by striking that rock. And now he tells him something he's got to do. Take your father's young bull, mm -hmm. the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. 
and build an altar of the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. Now, he, now here's what he's going to attack the Midianites ultimately. But God gives him a smaller assignment in, I would say, in breadth and in difficulty before he does that. It reminds me of Abraham. The first thing, now he didn't have a son, but the first thing God asked Abraham to do was not to offer up his son. It was to leave his father in the land. God took Abraham step by step. He was a man of faith. But then when God saw that seed of faith, guess what God did? He built his faith. This is what God is doing with Gideon. He's building his faith, and he says, you need to do this. And so Alex, he gives him direct instructions to do this. And uh, and it was his father. Uh, one more thing, and I'll throw it back to you. This is kind of, he's, he's come out of this. His dad is a worshiper of Baal, and here is Gideon who has a different spirit in him. He is kind yeah. of breaking the chain there, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, it, it really is fascinating, and uh, perhaps you heard about this in Sunday school because Gideon was this mighty man, but he trusts God, he obeys God, and they, they pull down this altar in verse 27. They did as the Lord had said, uh, and they they tear this down, but because of really fear and fear of his dad, they do it at night, but... After the nighttime comes the sunrise, and the men of the city, these Midianite Baal worshipers, and by the way, um, you've heard the term Baalzebub, which is a name for Satan. I mean, this is an altar to the devil. So they, they've pulled it down, praise God, and they said one to another, who has done this? And they inquired, and they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. And then everybody gets together, and you, you can tell they're riled up, and they said, hey, uh, you know, go get your son that he may die. We're going to kill him for having done this. And so um, th this is a big conflict that, uh, you know, these people worship a false god. Verse 31, Joash said to all that stood against him, will you plead for Baal? Will you save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death while it is yet morning, if it if he be a god, let him plead for himself, because one hath cast down his altar. Bert, um, it seems like Joash is at least trying to buy some time and argue uh, for his son perhaps to be spared. Um, in other words, if if Baal is a god, we don't really need to defend him. Uh, but the Midianites, they are loaded for battle here, as we're going to see in verse 33 and following and I love verse 34. Well, Alex, before you get through, let me make one or two observations real quickly. First of all, I think he's a little stronger than just buying time. Um, yeah. That's my opinion. He comes on, he says, if 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 God, if Baal is a God, can't he defend himself? Yes. Uh, that is a real strong accusation. It reminded me, the other thing I want to say, it reminded me of Dagon. You remember when the Ark of the Covenant was taken in battle? Yes. And they took it to Dagon. And let me see if I remember what happened to the God of Dagon. He fell on his face, you know, yeah. and yeah. and here's what's so sad. They had to lift their God off of the ground and put him back on the pedestal. 
Now, listen, if you have to build up your God, if you have to wonder about your God falling on their face, uh, your God's not a real God. He is a false God. And and here it is. I, I, I believe Joash really makes a pretty strong statement. If Baal is real, he ought to be able to take care of himself. Well, exactly, exactly. Now, you know, oftentimes in the Bible, well, maybe I shouldn't say oftentimes, but sometimes, you know, there's uh, different names like, you know, uh, you know Peter, uh, you know, S- Simon, you know. Well, in verse 32, Gideon is going to be called, referred to as Jerubbabel or Jeru- Jerubel. Uh, but it really means the one who contends with Baal or let Baal contend with him. And it's really kind of a uh, an amalgam of two Hebrew words, controversy. Gideon had a controversy with Baal. And let me say, very often in history, the people of God have to fight against darkness, fight against error. You know, uh, the New Testament tells us, like in Colossians 2.8, that we are to uh, not be misled by false teaching. And, Bert, um, I really think we need some Gideons today. Amen. Well said, man. We need some uh, Jerobels that are willing to fight against some of these philosophies that are demonic. And uh, we could, you know, I don't think I have to even elaborate on that, but we need some Gideons that for God's glory and to rescue the souls of people we need to pull down some falsehoods and high and visible proclaim truth. Amen. Let me make two quick observations. Before he built the altar, he had to tear the one down that was there in our lives. That's the reason repentance is necessary. You just don't say, okay, I'll follow God. No, the Bible says turn from your thinking, turn from your ways, turn to God. The other thing is, look what happens on verse 34. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and we're going to develop that and see how God used Gideon in such a mighty way when we come back. We want to welcome a new sponsor to American Family Radio, and I hope you give them your full support. That's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. If you're like most of us, you're feeling the strain of rising healthcare costs. Well, good news. Christian Healthcare Ministries may be the answer you're looking for. CHM is an affordable, faith-based option to traditional health care that provides members the freedom to choose doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods since they're not insurance. Can you say freedom? CHM is the longest-serving health cost-sharing ministry and has been around for over 40 years helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. They're tried and true and have members in all 50 states and around the world and have covered billions in medical bills. Members not only get advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. Make the switch today by visiting chministries.org slash AFR. 
That's chministries.org slash AFR. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Let us tell you about Jesus. Uh, wonderful. That's a great song. Let us tell about our Jesus, and we hope he is your Jesus, that you've put your faith in him. Welcome back. This is Exploring the Word with Alex and Bert. We're in Judges chapter 6 in the Old Testament. Verse 34, great words, and you'll see these in various places in the Bible when God is working through somebody. It says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And he blew a trumpet. And Abiezer, which means father of helps, by the way, was gathered after him. Bert, um, a beautiful thing about being a Christian is the Spirit of the Lord comes on the believer at salvation and stays. In the Old Testament, if you read like uh, Samson and you read King Saul, the Spirit of the Lord would come on a person but then leave the person perhaps at another point. But uh, Gideon, he is in the prime of his service to the Lord here, isn't he? He really is. And notice what he does. He blows the trumpet and gathers these people behind him. Now, why were they ready? Because of his previous act. Because even though he did it at night, he showed courage in tearing down the altar uh, to Baal and burning the Ashtoreth pole and using it for fuel. Uh, He built an altar to the Lord. And so... That previous act not only gave Gideon what he needed to see how God could use him, others were watching, Alex, and they were ready to join him when he blew the trumpet. And so, listen, your courage will strengthen others to be courageous. It is con- Courage is contagious. I know that's a, f- a cliche, but it really is. And yeah. then he sent messengers throughout Manasseh, which his his tribe, who also gathered behind him. He sent also messengers to Asher, Zebulon, Neptali, and they came to meet him. And there they were. They were gathering their army. What What God had done, but what he told him to do. Not only was this an act of courage on tearing down that altar of Baal, but it was also a signal of, that this man is God's warrior, and they're ready to follow him. Alex, warriors are really important, aren't they? Well, they are, and the Bible has a lot to say about those that were willing to put their life on the line for the sake of God's call. And we need uh, warriors again. Um, You know, I'm old enough, I remember in the late 80s there was controversy over hymns, and many denominations uh, deleted that famous old hymn, Onward Christian Soldiers. And I remember I was reading the Greensboro newspaper, and there was a you know, leader of a certain denomination said, oh, that's just terrible, that's militaristic, uh, we'll never sing that song again, Onward Christian Soldiers. Well, let me tell you, uh, we are in a battle, and uh, hopefully you're a soldier in the Lord's army, and maybe... God might choose to make you a general and a warrior. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, Amen. You know, it's 
the Bible says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. And so uh, Gideon is a warrior. Now, he blows the trumpet, but I've always, um, in, in 36 through 40, I really sympathize with this. Gideon said to God, if thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as you have said, and very famously, Gideon and his two fleeces. Now, it's just really precious here. The bottom line, he wants reassurance. And as I said in the first segment, he was a little bit of a reluctant leader. But here's what he says to God. Um, I'm going to put a fleece on the floor and let the, let the fleece be wet and the floor be dry when I wake up tomorrow morning. And he got up and the fleece was so wet that he wrung out a bowl full of water. Now, I don't know if this this piece of fur was like a, you know, the size of a bath towel or what it was, but it was a fleece. And verse 39, God is so merciful. Gideon said to God, let not thine anger be hot against me, but I, I got one more thing I need to ask you, Lord. <laughs> uh, pr- prove, I pray thee, this one with the fleece. Let the fleece be dry and the ground be wet. And that night, that's how it was. And so, uh, Bert, uh, this is another one of those things. It's an axiom or a saying about making a decision and trying to figure out what to do. I've heard many times people say, you know, I kind of put out a fleece. And even unchurched people know, but this is one more example of how a biblical truth has influenced our our sayings and our vocabulary. It really is. Now, two or three things that I, I find in this. Notice what he said. Verse 36 uh, really amazes me. If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. Now, God's word should have been enough for him, but it was not, as you said, reluctance and fear. I mean, fear and faith will fight against one another. Either fear will conquer faith and it will be defeat, or yet your faith can conquer your fear and live in victory. And his faith is being built up, but it says, I I could not help but notice, as you have said, God said that. The other thing, notice where this uh, fleece is put on the threshing floor. Now, if you know anything about the threshing floor, it's hard. It's not soft. A water, more than likely, a little water would run off of it, and it would not necessarily be real wet. So mm-hmm. this is this is not an easy fleece. This is a hard fleece that he's putting out. By that, I mean it's not easily done, especially the part of letting the ground be wet and the fleece be dry. But that's what God did. Now, again, this is not a statement of faith is a statement of him lacking faith, but God willing to help him along to build his faith. And yes. uh, so that's that's what I'm going to do. God, thank God for his patience with Bert Harper, all I got to say, that God would, would, would have patience with me. Uh, there's a difference in saying no to God, and then, <clears throat> like Mary, the virgin, about conception with the seed of the Holy Spirit that would bring forth Jesus, how shall this be? So distinguish, and I think the same thing is true with Judas and Peter. Some people put them one betrayal and the other one denial. They're not on the same level. 
They're not. Yes, he denied Christ. That was bad, but it wasn't like I'm betraying you and selling you out. So you want your faith to have a little faith, but if it's if you have the faith of the size of a mustard seed, I want to just tell you, it can grow as God puts it in your heart. And so here we go again with Gideon's faith being built up for the battle, Alex. Well, you, you know, a threshing floor was very significant in the ancient world. Because now think about this, because in a way, ultimately, uh, history will culminate in the human race being taken to the threshing floor. And you're either a wheat or a tear, you know, you're either saved or lost. Because here's the thing, there's a growing season, and then there's a time of harvest. And there was the wheat and then the old chaff that would get thrown out. And this is really pictorial. And when Gideon goes through these in 36 through 40, um, he was being tested, and uh, he his faith needed to be strong. But let me say, folks, um, your faith must be in Christ. You want to make sure you're wheat, not tares, that you're sheep, not goats. And, Bert, I don't think it's too much of a stretch at all to, uh, you know, finally Gideon had to trust God because God was yea and amen on his promises. Folks, you need to make sure that you've trusted Christ as your Savior. The The only way to be ready, because in a way, the, the threshing, the separating the wheat from the chaff, um, that's um, the test that we all are going to face one day. And the way to be prepared, and you have assurance and security, have you accepted Christ? And when humanity is threshed and separated, and Bert, this is not comfortable to talk about for some people, there's a a day of separation coming, isn't there? There really is, and you want to be ready. Uh, Listen, it is appointed unto man once to die, and then what? Judgment. Now, listen, I want to just tell you, Bert and Alex can't make that judgment. Uh, They said, well, you can examine the fruits. Listen, uh, we may can examine fruits for leadership, but we cannot judge those things for salvation. God is the one that is able to separate soul and spirit. He's the one that knows that through the power of God. And so here it is on this threshing floor that became a place of testing. Uh, God rules and reigns, and he'll reign and rule in your life no matter what. Uh, When life is over, when life is over, let me tell you, it's either heaven or hell. That's that's the whole idea. And so you want to know Christ, and that is the way to heaven. And we have partners that partner with us, that love to talk with people and pray with people, especially concerning their salvation. You can call them at 888-NEED-HIM. 888-NEED-HIM. They'll pray with you. Make sure you know Jesus Christ is Savior. Uh, don't wait any longer. Don't say, I'm going to find a more convenient time. I'm going to wait till tomorrow because the book of James says that is a sin of presuming upon God. You have no assurance that tomorrow will come for you. And so you want to get right with God today. Well, Alex, yeah. it moves to chapter 7, and notice what it says. Zerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who are with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Harod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, now this, these are precious times. 
the Lord said to Gideon. The angel came to Gideon. The angel revealed to Gideon. And here the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Okay, <laughs> he, he, he had gotten the first group. And then he got all these people from the other tribes. They had joined them, had 32,000 soldiers. And God yeah. says, you got to thin them out. Uh, yeah. Have you ever heard of blessed reductions? Th- that's true. <laughs> Do you know what? Uh, it's been estimated that it gets down to one Israelite warrior for every 450 Canaanite soldiers. Isn't that something? Now, uh this clearly shows that God wins the battle. Yes, it does. And uh, he says, it's. let me read a statement here. And uh, it's by uh, A.W. Tozier, who is awesome writer. Yeah. All God's acts are done in perfect wisdom, first for his own glory, and then for the highest good of the greatest number for the longest time. Now, that is some statement. Mm-hmm. Now, powerful. notice, it is. It is. He, he is perfect. We ask, how could they go in and have all the Canaanites slain? Perfect wisdom, his glory, for the highest good, for the greatest number, and for the longest time. Alex, we're about to see that here, that God, in his perfect wisdom, tells Gideon what to do to to get the fearful and the unprepared out of the mix, and he comes down to 300 men. It, it is an amazing story, isn't it? Well, it really is. You know, Gideon was going to do it with 10,000, and God says, no, that's too many. Because, you know, God is faithful, and, and God has all the power, and with 300 men, uh, the battle will be won. And Bert, was it also um, a witness to... The Canaanites and Midianites and the pagans that, uh, look, what is a human yeah. impossibility is a done deal with God. It is, and and God did it. He could only get the glory, 175,000, and also the camels. Uh, I was reading, I had not known this, but this is the first time that we find camels used in warfare, Alex. Now, we've seen them before in the Scriptures but this is the first time we have them used in warfare. They had developed. So we're talking about the chariots. When it came to Deborah and Barak, they were defeated. Now we're talking about the camels <clears throat> used for their speed and, and, and all the great things they would bring to the, uh, to the battlefield. And God overcomes man's greatest weapons. This is powerful. Mm-hmm. And let me ask you this. Can we still overcome Satan's weapons? Absolutely. Absolutely. We are victorious in Christ, and at the name of Jesus, Satan must have to flee. Did you ever sing this song back in Bible school? In the name of Jesus, we have the victory. In the name of Jesus, Satan will have to flee. Well, you know, before time fleets away, I don't want to get past the part about how you drink water, uh, you know, getting conscripted into Gideon's army. They go down there, and the Lord said to Gideon, this is back in verse 5, everyone that laps of the water with his tongue as a dog laps water, him shall you set by 
the wayside, sitting by himself, and everyone that bows down upon his knees to drink, and the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men, and all the rest bowed their head down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, By three hundred men that lapped will I save you. Bert, I've always heard that by kneeling down, cupping the water, they could see. But if you got on all fours and bent down to try to drink like a like a dog would drink out of his dish, you could be taken unawares. Um, is that how you had heard that? I have because- heard that, and I think there's some truth in that. It doesn't specifically say that, but you can imagine that, Alex, and those that got, they were ready. That's with yes. all my heart, they were ready. They and were alert. those that were fearful, and those that were not ready, they went home. Who was left? 300, 300 soldiers. Men. Yeah. Well, this is Exploring the Word. When we come back, folks, we're going to take calls and questions. The number, 888-589-8840. Call us. We'd like to thank our sponsors, including Preborn. Preborn has rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day their network clinics rescue 200 babies. Will you join Preborn in loving and supporting young moms in crisis? Save a life today. Go to preborn.com. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. When you're up on the mountaintop or walking through the valley below. Jesus is enough. When the storms come crashing in and you're carrying a heavy load. Don't look for the answers in worldly things when your life is tough. Turn it over to Him. Jesus is enough. Amen. I wished I had that kind of voice, Alex and Mace. I'm telling you what, I just I enjoy that song. Hey, I want to make a public service announcement. Okay. To all the men who are listening, tomorrow is Valentine Day. Okay. Oh, bless and you, Bert. Enough said. Uh, we we That's don't right. we're not going to tell you what to do, but we're just letting you know that it is Valentine Day, and that was mainly for for Brent Austin, so he would remember but anyway but we got phone calls and we've got lines open right now and you make that call 888-589-8840 888-589-8840 we would love to have your bible question today well first we're going to texas barry thank you for calling exploring the word hi thanks for taking my call uh, my question regards the word flesh now, I find that in most translations, the uh, word is used across the board. But the one translation, I think there might be a couple, but the, uh, the TNIV translation, for example, in uh, Romans 13, uh, verse 14, um, uses the, um, the uh, words, uh, desires of the sinful nature. Um, in other words, it's talking not only about sensual, uh, the sensual connotation, but the sensual connotation plus other types of sins that are non-sensual. Um, what is your What is your take on that? They got it right. It's not talking about my skin, my muscles, flesh like that. It is talking about my nature. Uh, sinful nature. I could put it on that way, Alex, not just sensual, but 
sinful. We're, uh, do you remember that old song, Prone to Wander, Lord, I Feel It? Yeah. Uh, there's none good, no, not one. Alex, all yeah. have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Why is that? Our sinful nature. Uh, yeah. The fall of Adam affected all of us, and I already broke my promise. You were supposed to go first. Sorry about that. Go well, ahead. That's okay. <laughs> well, you know, the Romans 13, 14, and, and thank you for listening, and thank you for an excellent question, because in that verse, there there are two words. There is there is the word uh, for flesh, like our, our body, but there's also a word for what lies within our body, which is that fallen nature, you know? Now, the good news is uh, we we get redeemed, our soul gets saved, and, and our body gets glorified one of these days. But in the meantime, like Paul wrote about, we are to mortify the flesh or the sinful nature. And the way we do that, by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God, renewing our mind. But Bert, there was a book years ago, I don't know if you remember this name, certainly he's in heaven by now, Sumner Wimp, W-E-M-P. yes. He was a professor at Liberty, and uh, he wrote a book, a great, great book title, and a great, great book, How on Earth Can I Be Spiritual? Uh, And it's about letting the Holy Spirit of God control you, and more and more increasingly, we develop these habits of letting, letting the Lord control. See, here's the thing, God saves our soul, uh, but it's a life of growth where he, we become more Christ-like, and the flesh is less dominant, and the Spirit prevails. Amen. Barry, thank you for that great question. Let me just say this, and this is a praise. I praise God that God called me out for salvation, but when I, quote, surrendered to preach, well, I, God's call was on my life, and I finally said yes. I was that reluctant leader, Alex. I was a reluctant, you know, I didn't want to. I wanted to do something else. It was during the time that it was about the spirit-filled life. Dr. Adrian Rogers, Bertha Smith, Ron Dunn, Jack Taylor, uh, Peter Lord, and they'd have these, they would call them deeper life conferences. Henry Blackaby was, was one of those, and just so many of that. And that's what I started out in, and I found out, listen, in me dwells no good thing, but the Holy Spirit of God, Walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And, and it kind of drifted by the wayside because, you know, people got kind of g- going a different way, and we got seeker-friendly much, and then we got church growth and everything. But I, I'll be very frank. I hadn't gotten away from that that point of starting. If you want to have victory in your life, you've got to let the Holy Spirit of God reign in your life. Mm-hmm. And it's God having his way in your life. Barry? Thank you for that. And we could, uh, Alex, we'd say this every once in a while. We need to spend a program, maybe the whole program, on what we'd call walking in the Spirit and just talking about it. So I'm going to write that down and try to remember that. Let's go to Arkansas. Kayla, thank you for calling. Hi, good afternoon, Bert and Alex. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I am on my third year going through the Bible. Um, I've Recent, I say recently, probably the end of last year, learned um, about uh, Noah. Uh, Noah in the ark. Um, he was. It says he was a, a perfect man, and I learned it wasn't. You know, he was just as human as the rest of us. But uh, God chose him because his bloodline was pure. And if Satan could, he he wanted you know to 
to, to take over and, and thwart the plan of God. Um, you know, he's always got a counterfeit. But recently I just heard, um, I heard you guys talking about the faith of a mustard seed. And I heard my preacher, uh, he was uh, preaching the other day, and he started talking about um, the mustard seed and the significance of the mustard seed is that it can't be cross-pollinated. You know, when you talk about your faith, you can't have faith in this or faith in that. It's got to be faith in God alone. And so anyway, I'm, I'm so excited again to dive in the Word and, and learn uh, new insight on, you know, it's not just words on a page, but it's, it's life. It is the breath in my lungs. I've got to have it every day. But do you guys have any more insight on the significance of the mustard seed? Well, let me say this, and interestingly, we used to grow mustard greens because mustard is not just the yellow uh, condiment that you put on hot dogs and hamburgers, but, you know, much like uh, turnip greens or collard greens, there are mustard greens. And Bert, I'm really from the South. We would grow and sell about 20 acres of mustard greens, and I will say uh, I handled bushels of mustard seeds growing up, uh, and they are tiny. And it is true that scientists have never made, nor will they ever make, a hybrid mustard seed. Um, It's a very unique seed, the DNA of the mustard seed, and I think that's probably... You think about this. When Jesus said, even if you have a faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And I'm sure at the time, the listeners probably thought that meant just to its relative tiny little size. And it is like sand. Uh, we used to play with the mustard seeds. They were When I was a little bitty boy, we would run them through our fingers because it's like, it's like very, very dry sand that's black. It is black in color, but it's a tiny seed. Little did they know that it would be the 20th century through genetics that they realized it is such a unique seed that it can't be crossbred or hybridized. There's a purity to that seed, just like there needs to be a purity to our faith, and there can be. And this is a great call. Amen. Thank you so much, Kayla. And man, it's awesome to hear you reading through the Word of God. You're studying the Word of God and let the Word of God reign in our hearts. That's uh, uh, that's my desire. Let's go to Mississippi and talk to Gary. Gary, thank you for calling. Uh, yeah, good afternoon, young man. How y'all? Doing well. Mm, I love that. Welcome. Young man makes me feel real good. <laughs> well, I'll be 70 in less than four months, so I figured you younger than me. No, play, man, I got you beat a little bit. Yeah, maybe not at heart, though. Amen. Hey, I'm young at heart. But, Gary, thank you for calling, brother. What's your question? Uh, yes, I think it's Deuteronomy 10, 2, talking about the good heart on the right and the foolish on the left. Can you elaborate on that? Well, uh, Bert, in, in some ways that does speak to the spiritual condition of people, doesn't it? It really does. As far as what I could know, uh, that's just the way it's going to be. There is a division. Jesus came and he said, I've come to divide, you know, uh, and it is a division. Those that choose Christ, those that do not, and it may be in a family, it can be in a group, but it is that, that, listen, Jesus Christ divides so much and people are trying to make Jesus, uh, you know, that ad that was on the a Super Bowl. I did not watch the yeah. Super Bowl. I'm one of those that did not. I'm not going to go into all the reasons why, 
but I heard about the ad and saw the ad about Jesus washing the feet of all these people. And the only Jesus didn't do that. Jesus went and spoke to people, had compassion for people, uh, but he also spoke truth to the woman uh, uh, that was caught in the act of adultery. He said, neither did I condemn thee, but then he added, go and sin no more. Uh, Jesus didn't save us for us to stay in our sin. He saved us that we would be delivered from our sin and ultimately the, even the penalty of that sin, Alex. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I didn't see the Super Bowl uh, either. And, uh, you know, really uh, what the NFL has become uh, is just not even relevant to me at all. But um, I, I am familiar with that commercial that they were talking about. But to the caller's question, you know, this is about um, Moses and uh, hewing out the Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy 10, 1 and 2. And, um, you know, Moses had gotten angry and thrown down and broken the first set, and this was a replacement set, and God wrote his law on these stone tablets. But, you know, uh, Romans 2, 14 and 15 says God's law is written on the heart of all people. Even the Gentiles that didn't have the tablets of stone, the law of God is written on their heart. So we're accountable to God. And one day we're going to be judged for what we did with the truth that we had been given, aren't we, Bert? We are. You remember in Evangelism Explosion and others, the good starting question is, if you were to die and you stood before God today and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? Uh, That was an awesome question, still is today. Why would God let you into the heaven that he has made? only because you have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Well, let's go to Kentucky and talk to Katie. Thank you, Katie, for calling. Uh, Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, go right ahead. Thank you. Well, in our uh, women's Sunday school or Sunday night class, we're going through the book of John, and um, I know that there was significance in when Jesus said, I am, that the Jews knew what the significance was. But in John nine thirty five, he says uh, that he is the son of man. Would they have known that reference to, or would that have not been one that they knew? And if there was significance to it, what was it? Great, great question. Do you know, it's funny, I was talking with some people about this this morning, because in Daniel chapter 7, uh, and I... To your question, I believe that they would have understood what this meant. Son of man, if you read in Daniel 7, 22 and following, there is a reference to the Son of Man who is uh, on the right hand of the Ancient of Days, which is a reference to God the Father. And not only in John 9, but in Mark 14, 61 through 64, Christ referred to himself as the Son of Man. Now, 82 times in the four Gospels, uh, Christ is referred to as the Son of Man. Now, here's what Daniel says, and Daniel was written several hundred years before the birth of Christ, but the Son of Man would come at the end of time and judge the nations. The Son of Man was co-equal with the Ancient of Days, so the Son of Man was full deity, and this is also in Daniel seven thirteen. Um, Bert, 
they understood that one of the passages about the Messiah, Jesus was appropriating this to himself. And that's why uh, in Mark 14, the high priest ripped his clothes and said, you have heard his blasphemy. Well, uh, to call yourself the Messiah, God incarnate, uh, that would be blasphemy unless it's true. And if it's true, as it is in the case of Jesus, it wasn't blasphemy, it was accuracy. And so, Bert, I really do think that the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, and the pious Jews, they, they would have known Christ was calling himself deity. They, he really did, and I believe most of them did as well. And if you believed uh, Joseph of Arimathea and ultimately Nicodemus, and uh, so they knew that. And then after the resurrection, it said many of them came. So, yes, they did. We're going to try to get Gary from Iowa. Gary, we don't have a lot of time. Go along. Okay. Yeah, your question. Okay, yeah, I just want to be curious. I know your your guys' show and another show mentioned that tomorrow is Valentine's Day, but for me, more importantly, tomorrow is also Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent. Do you guys, you guys practice the imposition of ashes and all that stuff? And I mean, that's the beginning of our Lenten season here tomorrow, too. So, Hey, let me jump in here. I have, in those services, um, yes, I have done that. And I had the privilege about two weeks ago, Fox News called me for a statement on Lent, and I gave them a statement about that. Remember, the Lord was tempted 40 days in the wilderness. Well, Lent, leading up to Easter, many people will abstain from something for 40 days. So, Bert, I really do think it is a good thing It's a to reflect and pray and draw close to the Lord. Maybe my statement about it will be on Fox tomorrow. I hope so. You know, there, Jesus and God the Father, they paid special attention to special days and special seasons. This is a special season, and use it to grow closer to the Lord. Like I said today about Gideon, he tore down the old pagan altar before he built the new altar. So in our lives, let's do that. Let's take away those things that are not pleasing to the Lord and please Him with our lives. Thank you for listening to Exploring the Word. Tell someone about this program, but more importantly, tell them about Jesus. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. I want to thank our sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com slash AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest-serving healthcare cost-sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. 